if I call on you and go, yes, you, go ahead. Oh, no, that's a... It could. Well, Bobby, Bobby's going to get it. I don't. I don't speak like Pastor uh, Tim does. Uh, at the top. Whoa. I'm going to whisper. <laughs> he uh, he speaks pretty loud, and I don't. My wife even has to tell me that. Uh, you have to excuse me a second. I've lost so much weight, I can hardly keep my pants up anymore. So, rather than me going like this all night, I just. I'll just take the time. Forgive me. Anyway, uh, uh, as I said, my name is Bill Weaver, and I am director of worship, worship director, however you want to put that in. Uh, here you'll see me most of the time up behind the keyboard and uh, working with the worship team and, and the singers and everybody that's involved with that. Uh, my lovely wife, Eula, is also on the worship team. Raise your hand, Eula, singer. So some of you may may not be have, have put us together because we're just not usually out here. So again, I'm sorry if I don't know your name. Uh, hopefully by tonight, I still won't know your name. No, I'm just kidding. I, I just have a really hard time time with names. I, I go, this is my best friend right here. My best friend. Yeah, it's my best friend. What's your name? So uh, if I do that, I think uh, Pastor Tim does that too. You know, he goes, uh, uh, Jack's wife. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> you know, so he, he does that too a little bit. So anyway, I'm just kind of talking a little bit to get everybody in settled. And are you getting notes? Everybody have some notes now? Good. So uh, that's kind of the introduction. Uh, being, uh, being the worship director, um, as you can see, my title tonight is about, you guys looked at your notes already, good, all right, <laughs> worship, and uh, I titled it Extravagant Worship, so we're going to talk about that uh, and how that how that works, and uh, it's not going to be Extravagant Worship uh, like Darlene Check's book is called Extravagant Worship, she's the, or was the worship leader, worship whatever she was, pastor for Hillsong. But she talks about extravagant worship. There's many uh, books and publications out there that talk about it. In fact, the Bible talks about it. So that's what we want to look at tonight is what the Bible has to say about extravagant worship. So let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we love you. We thank you for who you are, that you are on the throne, that you're still King of kings and Lord of lords that you are so loving and caring for us that you look for us to worship you. You look for us to be uh, intimate with you and to talk with you and, and share our issues with you and give you praise and honor for who you are and what you are and what you're about. And, Lord, we do that tonight. We lift you up and glorify your name. It says in the word that we should enter his courts with thanksgiving into his presence with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. So we do that. We enter with thanksgiving and praise for you today, tonight, Lord. We love you. We give you praise. Be with us tonight. Help us to focus on your word and what truth you have for us tonight. Help us to focus on you. Uh, Lord, uh, pour out your spirit in this place. Anoint my words that they would be your words and, and these people's minds that they would hear your voice and not mine. 
We ask uh, that you just give us unity and help us to understand uh, all that you have for us. We ask it all now in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Okay, extravagant worship. So what does that mean to you? Are you an extravagant worshiper? Do you want to be a passionate worshiper of Jesus Christ? Those are three main things that we want to talk about tonight. Although we may sincerely desire to worship our Savior with abandonment, many of us have grown up in a religious or home environment where we were never allowed or never encouraged to freely express our emotions. Uh, and I've heard that so much in church, you know, emotions. We don't want to let our emotions get out of line. Everything has to be under control. You know, yes, the Holy Spirit loves control and he wants to control and uh, everything like that in our church. But that doesn't mean we can't be emotional, that we can't love and we can't encourage we can't give back to God the praises that he deserves. Uh, but, it, but in church, I think we have suppressed that. And that. We haven't been able to freely express our emotions. Emotions are the language of a person's internal state of being. They are a form of communication that powerfully conveys the intensity of things we are feeling on the inside. Is that true or not? Yes, it is. Just... When I know my wife is conveying her feelings from the inside, emotionally, I understand clearly that she, that I did something wrong, <laughs> probably, <laughs> right? Right. So we, we know that very well with, with our anger, our love for each other. We can be very emotional people. Um, um, if we can learn to unbridle our emotions in a positive way, it will permit us to express ourselves in free, spontaneous, and extravagant responses to the God who longs to have intimacy with us. So um, when I started thinking about this, and of course I've, I've read uh, Darlene's book, I've seen lots of information about extravagant worship and you know, it seems after thinking of that a lot that it, the word extravagant and worship almost are oxymoron. You know, extravagant meaning what? So let's take a look at that. But the dictionary defines extravagant as lacking restraint in spending money or using, uh, lacking restraint in spending money or using resources, costing too much money, exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate. Absurd, exceeding the bounds of reasons as actions, demands, opinions, or passions. Uh, some other words, synonyms would be exorbitant, excessively high, unreasonable, wasteful, lavish, expensive, gaudy, and I love this one, ostentatious. Right, you have to say that with an English accent because that's really what it is. Is this me rattling? better back here? All right. So the reason I did that is because when we talk about extravagant and worship and we think about extravagant in this sense, that it's beyond reasonable, beyond appropriate, it's absurd, it's more than what should be allowed, it's out of reason, uh, it's exorbitant, excessively high, it almost has a negative connotation, doesn't it? So if you think about it, and you're supposed to say yes or 
Yeah, okay. So this is interactive. Just remember that. Okay, just join in. Okay, well, okay, perfect. So, um, so it's negative, in a way. Um, if you th to those who um, enjoy having extravagance, and I don't think that um, uh, it's wrong to be extravagant. There, I think there are places where extravagance is necessary, and if you can afford, uh, you can afford an extravagant watch or vehicle. And another part of that is what's extravagant to Bev may not be extravagant to Eula. Or, you know, what may be to Danny may not be to Jack. Or vice versa. So we have opinions about what's extravagant, right? And what's too much, what's not, and where's, what are the limits are at. And we have form opinions based on that. So that's kind of what I was leading to in the, in the um, first part of that about... Um, if we're, we have a religious or home uh, environment where we're never allowed or never encouraged to freely express our emotions, especially extravagant emotions, right? You need to be under control. You need to take care of your kids. You can't, all right, you're being too loud. That's too much. Rather than saying, okay, well, we're a Pentecostal home, so we're going to teach you how to be, how to praise, how to worship, how to lift your hands how to give thanks to the Lord for, for he is good, right? And, and do those things that uh, need to be done to encourage our children or ourselves or our husbands or wives so that we can love the Lord. We can, we can do those things. I found that uh, being raised as a Baptist, that there wasn't anything like that in church. There, there might be an amen. <laughs> there definitely was never any hands raised or... Thanksgiving about things like that, at least where I was raised, in the Midwest. Um, I think that's changed a little bit. But, you know, I would venture to say that everyone here came from somewhere else. Okay, thank you. <laughs> was that profound or what? Okay. No, I'm, I'm not taking comments. No, I, go ahead, please. Yeah, that's good. Thanks. Okay. I had neighbors in Phoenix, and they were Catholic. They were from Jordan, though, mm. from the other side of the world is what I'm talking about. Sure. And, oh, my gosh, the men and the women, there's mainly men, <laughs> and, and the grown men, you know, the father and the adult males, they were so extravagant with their emotions. They, in their culture, do not hold back emotion. They are not taught to do that. So as they had family conflict, we all heard it. <laughs> the crying and my heart beating his chest. My heart, you hurt my heart. You know, the tears. And this was a tough guy. He was a tough guy, yeah. you know. And um, the boys were tough. They were men, you know. And I thought, well, why do you do that? You know, because here, I think I was pregnant with Lily, you know. And in the middle of the night, I'm trying to sleep, and I can't sleep because I'm pregnant. So I'm really, really tired. So I would have to go outside at like 3 a.m. while they're doing this arguing stuff <laughs> and say, can you please keep down because I'm trying to sleep and I'm not getting much sleep. So then, you know, we had this friendship, and they explained to me. In their country, they do not hold back emotion, 
and that it's wrong, you know, they see it as unhealthy, not necessarily wrong, to say, be quiet or don't show your emotions because that's where all the problems are coming from. No one's free to express their emotion. And I, and I think that's very true in that area of the world. Uh, even in Israel and other places, I think we see that even today, that those, those cultures are very emotional. And I see that we see it in the Old Testament. They were very emotional. And we'll, we'll talk about um, some of that tonight because there's some really good examples of, of how, that, how that worked in the Bible. Uh, the American culture, though, I think is the other way. I think we've, we've gotten very, what would be a good word, internalizing to our emotions and all those things. And what did you say? Reserved. Reserved, yeah, good. So, so it's, they're not allowed to be expressed the same way. Uh, so I think when we all come from wherever we came from, whatever church background or no church background, wherever it might be, uh, and you come into a situation like this, it becomes difficult uh, to feel comfortable um, in raising your hands or worshiping that way or being extravagant or, or really... Uh, letting the Lord know how you really feel in your heart because you're kind of looking at Mary over here and they're pretty quiet and their hands aren't raised. and So it makes it somewhat difficult. Makes it some. I get this too quick to scratch it. Of course, my beard isn't right. So it makes it difficult to, I forgot what to say. Makes it difficult to be emotional and to express your feelings. Uh, so I guess it just becomes a a point where it doesn't have it's going to have to be it doesn't matter we've got to come to that it doesn't matter and we're going to talk about that too tonight about how it didn't matter to this person yes Danny. Sure. White and the white as well. I think that's very true. I think uh, the Hispanic are very much more emotional, much more open and verbal and everything else. And we love Brother Hensley's, my Lord, or come on, Pastor, or whatever he he does to encourage Pastor. I, I love it. You know, I think that's great. I wish more of us would do that. If you've ever been to a, and I'll, Pardon me, Brother Hansley, but a black church, whatever that might be, okay, uh, whatever that might be, whether that's a, in Africa, and we saw, we've seen some um, video about how Pastor Philemon's, I hope that's not me, uh, how Pastor Philemon's church acted, uh, should say acted, but displayed emotion and praise and worship to the Lord. And they go on and go on, don't they, Jane? Uh, and uh, I've been to lots of uh, uh, black churches, Pentecostal, non-Pentecostal. I mean, the um, what is the Methodist um, that's here? Yeah, what is it? AMA? Yeah, AME, thank you. Uh, and they're not a, a Pentecostal church, really, I don't believe. But they're praising the Lord, they're thanking the Lord, they're singing, they're raising the roof with everything they can do to um, 
to give extravagant worship to the Lord because that's their that's their culture. That's where that comes from. So when we all get together, um, I wish some of you Hispanic and and uh, uh, African American. What's the legal word? Well, I wish that would happen, but at the the Italians are supposed to be you know really emotional, but I don't I don't hear it. So you got You're going to have to convince me when I'm up here playing that you guys have got some extravagant worship in your heart for the Lord. But it, we, I, wanna, I don't want to get caught in, uh, in the music side of this because uh, it's much more than music. It's much more than uh, worship is much more than just a song service or a, a 15 to 30 minute uh, time that we're singing. It's the tithes and offerings. It's the sermon. It's the when you leave the church and you go do your job, it's it's whatever you're going to do, and we'll talk about that too. About every decision, every action we make is is uh, worship. Why? Because every decision is a spiritual decision that we have to make uh, with with the Lord's help. All right. So let's. Uh, anybody have a comment? Another comment? Okay. Let's talk about. Uh, let's define worship then. Uh, the dictionary defines worship as the feeling of expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. Adoration or devotion comparable to religious homage shown toward a person or principle. Adoration or devotion comparable to religious homage shown toward a person or principle. Show of reverence and... Oh, it's another... This is a verb, so... If you use worship as a verb, show reverence and adoration for a deity or honor with religious rites. So worship uh, from the dictionary is an expression of reverence or um, an adoration. So can adoration be um, extravagant? It can be, but does it have to be? No. You can say, Man, I, I just adore you, but... You know, that could be it. Uh, I adore you, buddy. <laughs> but it, it could be a whole lot more than that. So worship in itself doesn't necessarily uh, allude to being uh, extravagant. So what what does make uh, us need to be extravagant? And I think the way we find that out is to look into the Word. So I need a few people to read some Scripture. Uh, so why don't, can we just start down the row here? You got your Bible right here? Okay. So Luke 7, 36 to 50. I'm going to write names down because I'll forget who has it. Uh, Bev, can you do Mark 14, 3 through 9? Miss Paula, do you have your Bible? Okay. Okay. Matthew 26, 6 through 13. And the girl I never recognize anymore. It's just Justine. John 12, 1 through 8. When you get old, your mind just slows down and kind of you just have to wait for it to come back. Okay, the name's there. It's coming. Okay. Uh, so John 12, 1 through 8. All right. So 
This is a, an example of extravagance from the word um, and one that um, we're going to talk about for a, a little while. How, um, And each one of these uh, four are the same story. And I'll tell you why, why I feel and what, uh, what I'm getting from reading uh, commentaries and study and so on about why that's in there. So, so let's listen to these stories. They're all a little bit different, but they have some extra um, pieces for the, for the story in total. Go ahead, Ray. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who lived this, uh, a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet uh, his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and then the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one with, uh, that had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see the woman? I, can t I came into your ho house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped it with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay. So we have... Uh we have Jesus attending a dinner at Simon um, Simon's house, who is a Pharisee. Yet he's still calling him Master. I, I, I still like that. So um, I think he must have been um, uh, a believer as well. Who else was there? I'm both going to find some more. Lazarus was there. Mary, Martha, Simon. They probably had a bunch of his friends there. Uh, the disciples were there. We'll see all that. So my guess is that this just wasn't a small Jesus going to Simon's house to have dinner. So very private and intimate. This was a very large dinner because they even had um, Mary and Martha there to serve and work and so on. So um, I think we're going to learn a, a lot more about this as well. So, Beth, would you read the next scripture about this action? This is Mark 14, starting in verse 3. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, 
as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster, alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. She broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me you do not have always. She has done what she could, and she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Okay. So um, in this, we learned a little bit more. Uh, what did you get out of this that wasn't in the other scripture? Da, 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 da. What's that? Someone say something? Simon is a Yeah. And yet they were all there. So did wonder if he was healed. Doesn't doesn't say. What else did, did you get? It? That how about yes? Go ahead. Yeah, extravagant, huh? Yeah, not good. See that, but there again, there was a lot of opinion in that, right? Based on that. Steve? Okay. Yeah, a whole flask of spike nerd. Uh, that whole flask, flask was about a quart. No, a gallon. I have to look at my notes. Forget. Gallon. A gallon. That's a lot of oil. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just uh, Googled it. In ancient times, spark, spikenard oil uh, was regarded as one of the most precious oils. It's been used as a perfume, a medicine, and in religious context across a wide territory from India to Europe. So uh, in, in that, that being said, too, uh, 300 denarii, does anyone really know what that is in today's dollars? Whole years, excuse me. Whole years' wages for a working person, normal working level person. <laughs> Dillards, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. Good. Just. Look it up, would you? $20,000. Right. $20,000 worth of spikenard that a woman who was uh, who was a sinner. And uh, some of the things I've been reading, she was, um, in that connotation, she was uh, a woman who was um, loose. You know, I don't know what, what to call her, loose in church. 
so I can't say anything. Thank you. Yes. Uh, but she got her sins forgiven, right? Because of her faith is what the word said. Because she believed through what she did. Or Jesus recognized that she believed through what she did and, and who he was. Anybody else? What else did we learn? Yes, sir. Yeah. So they were in the same frame of mind to worship um, Jesus in the way they were, even though, you know, it very possibly that some of those people were, in fact, the Bible does say, and we'll, we'll see that, that some of the disciples, it's the disciples that were saying that. Well, we could have sold that and give all that money to the poor. What's wrong with that woman? But that wasn't her heart. Are you going to say something, Pastor? Okay. What else? Anything else we got in that? All right, so part of uh, the notes that I, I wrote so far, I'll just read down a little bit. Um, among Jesus' closest friends when he was on earth was Mary of Bethany, which we were talking about. She was one who publicly expressed her love for Jesus in an amazing, lavish, or extravagant way. How? By taking a gallon of very costly oil of spark, spark, spike nard, uh, anointed the feet of Jesus, some, some part of those uh, scriptures say anointed the head of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Can you imagine the incredible amount of beautiful odor that a gallon of this spikenard would just, I'll say, erupt into that space? And yeah, some people are holding their nose right now. But I don't think it was that kind of a bad odor, strong odor. I think it was a beautiful odor. Yes, people. I was gifted with a small vial of spikenard as perfume. And I know that I can only use a little tiny bit of it at a time because it is very, very strong. So I can't yeah, take... Yeah, Patty's going, yes, yes. And uh, so I can't imagine a whole gallon. We could smell it all over this room. In, and this is not a small room. So when we um, were getting ready for the healing service that we had a couple of weeks ago, um, we ordered, we ordered uh, anointing oil, and it was a mixture of spikenard and frankincense. And when we anointed the chairs and we anointed the different parts of the room here, when you walked in the door, it just, it smelled like heaven. Um, if you read... Before and after a lot of these scriptures, it's talking about where Jesus is betrayed and uh, where he is going to see Pilate. You know, it's all about the uh, the end of his life and when he's arrested and all those all those things are going on. 
And then all of a sudden they go into this story. And then they go out of that story, back into what's going on. So, so I thought that was very interesting. One of the things I, I really liked was she anointed him, Jesus said, for his burial. They didn't pick up on that very well, did they? Okay. The other thing we, we got was, and we'll talk more about this because uh, it's mentioned in the other scripture as well, um, about how he supported her and what she did. She, it, it was talked about being a good thing that she did. What do you, what do you think he's really referring to it being a good thing? Do you have any thought about that and what that means? I'm oh, sorry. She was being a servant, sure. Can we get a mic around right there, please? So we, everyone can hear that. Thanks. She was recognizing that he was God in she front was, of others. Right. And he recognized that she knew that. <laughs> so she's done a good thing. I, th I think that was all part of why he forgave her. He recognized her belief and her faith in just that work that she did. Anybody else? Okay. Let's see if there's anything I'm reading right now. No. Okay, so let's, Paula, what did you read? Matthew. Now, when Jesus was back in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, <coughs> excuse me, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial a very expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' head as he reclined at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were indignant and angry, saying, Why all this waste? For this perfume might have been sold at a high price, and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you bothering the woman? She has done a good thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, wherever this gospel of salvation is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her for her act of love and devotion. Have you ever thought about that before in reading these these particular scriptures, or have you really not put them together? I hadn't really put them together, you know, as being the same story. Now, there are some people who don't think they might necessarily be, but I, to me, I can't see where they wouldn't be for sure the same story. They talk a little different about how, what, about how Jesus was anointed or his head or his feet or whatever, but I think that's really kind of not a, an important piece of this. Um, so I think part of the reason why there's so much covered in Scripture in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the next one, that talks about the story because of how important it was that her, what was the word that the Scripture used? Um, her honoring Jesus uh, how important that was, and good work that she had done uh, to him, and that it would she would always whatever the gospels preached, she would be made a part of that. Now, is it she? Do you think it's just she that they're referring to, or does 
that mean uh, anybody who might want to worship Lord in that worship the Lord in that way might have that same place. Is that a possibility? <laughs> Paula says yes. I'm, I'm probably stretching that a little little farther than what what the scripture is saying here, but I think it's very true. I think that God honors all of us when we honor Him, right? <laughs> Pastor Rains, Mom. going to say. I really did lose it that time. Uh, anyway, so uh, I also think that I think that this story is in all of these Gospels because of Christ's uh, Jesus is saying that he would honor her. That I had never really, you know, I, you've read it, but you don't read it. You know what I'm saying? You don't really get what they're talking about until you put it all together. Um, I guess that's why they call that... Uh, Lord God, revelation. Thank you, thank you, Beth. <laughs> I knew you were trying to help me. She's going. <laughs> I found it. All right. Is there anything else there that we we got out of that part of the story that we didn't hear before, Steve? Right. 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 And uh, well, before I go to you, Bev, uh, that's probably the most important part of this is that she recognized who he was and honored him in such an extravagant way that people were overwhelmed by how terrible a thing that was. And we have a tendency as Christians to do that to whatever. We might we might have someone uh, who's singing in, in here. Is they're just raising their voices and praising the Lord, and they're so far out of key that it just, oh, my word, how could he do that? I mean, oh, my gosh, you know. That's our opinion. Uh, but what does the Word say about that? A joyful noise. Right. So that's important. Bev, you were going to. The first one that we read in Luke, it said it was the Pharisees. But in this version in uh, that Justine read, it was the disciples. So that's a little bit different, that it was the disciples who complained about the cost, not the Pharisees. But it doesn't mean he was a, he was a, Simon was a Pharisee. So it doesn't mean that there weren't Pharisees there. So the first one could be talking about what they might have done or said or the way it was. And then in this one, the disciples. So whoever was closest to these people, Matthew or Mark or John or whatever, may have picked up on something a little different than the other. And that's kind of the way I look at that. I think that's why we get more out of the Scripture if we put it all together. So I think that's important. And that's what I said earlier. The disciples were the ones 
Yeah, you'd think that they would know better, if anyone would know better, that they wouldn't be taking such a, a side as that, you know, that if they know how to worship the Lord and that worshiping Him with uh, in, ex in an extravagant way, in a lavish way, is not a bad thing. And we'll see that, we'll see why that is important here in a little bit. Um, okay, down where Martha, Martha complained to Jesus. Now, Mary and Martha obviously were sisters, and Martha was there. And I'm not going to read that scripture because I want to be sure we have enough time to get through all this. But Martha complained to Jesus that Mary wasn't helping her serve the meal. But Jesus told Martha that Mary had chosen the good part. So again, he's talking about good. And that's Luke 10. You'll see that. If you want to look at that later, you can. Uh, the good part. So that part, the good part, was to sit at the feet of her Lord uh, and friend, wrapped in his words and in his holy presence. This is an act of breathtaking extravagance. Uh, Mary lavished her love on Jesus in a display of unbridled devotion and abandoned worship. Such a blatant public display of intimate affection more than likely caused an embarrassed silence from everyone else there. Do you think that could have happened? Uh, here you've got 20, 25, I don't know, 30 people. And they usually ate, eat, ate in a circle or sitting on the floor, you know, around, and they were being served. And all of a sudden, here comes Mary with her gallon of spikenard and just goes over to Jesus and anoints him with the oil, head, feet, whatever, wipes his feet with her hair, you know, does all these things in front of everybody. Do you think they would have gone like we would? <gasps> I think so. It would be fairly normal, right? So I think there was a, a kind of an embarrassed silence. Oh, what is she doing? There were a lot of people there, as I said. The embarrassment, I'm sure, came after the embarrassment came. I can't even read. After the embarrassment, uh, I'm sure, became, the embarrassment, I'm sure, became shocked outrage. That's where we heard uh, the disciples talking to the Pharisees. But Mary didn't care, did she? Did she go, oh, I'm sorry, am I offending someone here? Don't be offended. I'm just going to pour this oil on Jesus' feet. No, she didn't care. She was deeply in love with a man, the Messiah, who had forgiven her and saved her and who treated her with love, dignity, and respect that no one else had ever given her. Again, she was a sinner. She was uh, a, uh, what was the word you used? Promiscuous prostitute. I'll use that word. Whatever else she may once have been or done, no matter how she may have wasted her life before, Mary is different now. Jesus has changed her. Now she is dedicated to wasting her life for her Lord, the God who loved her and forgave her, and she doesn't care about who knows about it or what anyone thinks. For Mary, the expensive perfume means nothing. It is merely a symbol of the unrestrained love she feels in her spirit and of her determination from that day forward to waste her life on God, even though the disciples said she was wasting the oil. She's going to waste her life on God. But there, there were those who didn't like her expression of love and were critical, saying, why was, this ex why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii, $20,000, a year's wages for our normal working man at the time, and given to the poor. On the surface, the criticism appears religious, religiously correct. 
The perfume is worth 300 denarii. Why waste such valuable perfume on one person, no matter who he is or was, in a matter of a few seconds? A typical response of religious people when confronted with an act they cannot comprehend of genuine spiritual devotion. And why do I say that? Religious people, and I want you to take that as those who, like the Pharisees, it's about the religious piece of that, not about the relationship that uh, she had or should we should have with the Lord. Uh, it's, un, it's incomprehensible to them. The religious mind counts the cost of such extravagance and concludes it's just a waste. After all, the perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. What religious critics fail to understand is that extravagant acts of abandoned worship motivated, motivated by unfettered love for God need no justification or explanation before men. Let me just stop there for a second. We talked about that a little bit. How do we act in church now? How are we uh, when it comes to unfettered, abandoned love for God? Are we willing to say, I don't care what so-and-so thinks or feel, if they're worshiping or not, I need to worship. I'll get to you a second. I need to raise my hands. I need to show the Lord and thank Him for what He has done for me that this day, this minute, this week, this month, on and on, and, and just to the point where, you know, uh, whether we're singing or not, whether pastor's preaching or not, it shouldn't be a matter of being concerned that we need to be in order, but it shouldn't be a matter of, of at any point in time or where we, the Holy Spirit, reveals to us or we feel like we need to give Lord praise. Not necessarily saying out loud and standing up and yelling and screaming. I don't think we have to do that, but I think we have to be obedient. I think we have to praise and worship and do a little more extravagance in how we act and think. When we are singing a praise song, what's wrong with standing up and raising your hands and singing it? Man, that, the words in that song, what that means. Or when we're giving our tithe, God, Lord, you blessed us this month, this week with such an income. I got a raise. I got a promotion. I got whatever. Uh, money came in the mail. I had a God check this week. Saturday, and I was like, I was blown away. It's like, man, you know, I had no, I just, we just been praying, 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 because we had a need and we needed to take care of, and and uh, just praying. It's just, it just seems like it's a struggle every day. We just keep grinding and grinding, but we've got to believe God's gonna bless us, isn't He? Because He said that He promised He would. So when he does, do we just go, oh, okay, that, well, I got a check. Thank God I got a check, right? Hallelujah. <laughs> right. You know, we, we need to take that from in our heart and say, where did that check come from? That's, I, I told you, listen, that's a God check. And she goes, what? A God check. You know, it, it's, yeah, I know where it came from physically, you know, from, from where the, who mailed, who signed it and so on. But I, you know, I didn't realize that uh, two, two and a half months ago that I had billed for a job and, and uh, they hadn't got their payment and they never paid me. So all of a sudden that check showed up. Right time, right place. Isn't that God? Isn't that how that works? You know, that's a God check. 
So there are God things that happen to us every day all the time, right? What are some of the things that have happened to you? My job was on hold. I work with people with disabilities. I'm a contractor with the state of Arizona through Voc Rehab. I have a fingerprint clearance card, but they ran my name, and my name came up on the central registry. I have an older child who does not live in this town, so I can share a little bit, who had gotten in trouble with drugs. I was advised to call CPS and place her with relatives who could manage her better than I could. That was a hit on me because it was called a substantiated case of abandonment. Okay, so what God did was I did this 120 pages. I had all my paperwork to show that I did everything for my daughter to, awesome. to save her. I had even the paper that said first recommendation from the mental health clinic to call CPS. That was their first recommendation. And um, 120 pages, my job was on hold February 7th. About two weeks ago, I got the letter saying that it got passed and approved awesome. because I did all my work. Awesome. And I, I was at the post office, and, man, I was skipping. Yeah. I was skipping. I was like, you don't know what this means. You know, because I opened it in the post office. And then was it yesterday, yesterday afternoon. So I faxed that to my employer because they have to do their checks, you know. Um, and it took a while for them to get it to get their response. Yesterday I got the phone call on a green light that I can go back to work. That is God. That is God. That's God. Okay. Somebody else. Real quick. But God woke me up this morning and gave me another breath. And so I got vertical. I mean, does that happen to anybody else? Just me? What's that? I don't know. I'd rather be up there, to be honest with you. But, yeah, it's a good thing. And he gives us life. He gives us breath every day, doesn't he? Should we be thankful for that? I mean, why can't we, why can't we think of those things, you know? Uh, and I'm not being critical. Please don't take that that way. I'm, I'm just saying that we don't think about all the things that happen to us every day that God provides for us and does for us. That we could, whether it's Sunday morning or Monday morning or Monday night or whenever it might be, just give him some praise and thanks for what's going on. If we would just start recognizing more about what God does for us, uh, protects us on the road while we're driving, and you know, if somebody, you know, says maybe you better wait five more minutes, we're going to be late. Well, you know, if we'd have been five minutes earlier, might have been involved in the wreck that when we drove by went, wow, that's a big wreck. Who knows? You know, I'm, I'm not saying that was it, but there are things that God protects us from all the time, doesn't he? So I thank him, I try to, every day for taking care of keeping me safe when I'm working, when I'm driving, whatever it might be. I, Lord, I, you know, nothing happened. I almost ran to somebody in the parking lot tonight, but other than that. Okay, uh, before I get too far ahead, let's read the, the account in uh, John. Where we read John, right? John 12, 1 through 8. John 12, 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given to Je- in Jesus' honor. 
Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. When Mary took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold, the money given to the poor? It was, a year's, it was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Thank you. So let's talk about Judas for a minute. So, um, I mean, that Lazarus was mentioned in there. He was mentioned before. Um, I don't. I can't think of really what importance other than it was Lazarus and Mary and Martha's was invited there at the same place. So let's talk. But let's talk about Judas. What are some of the reasons that we um, complain and pick apart extravagance? Um, I'll, I'll say this because I'm because I'm, I'm on stage. There's a lot of times when we get ready to start worship and church starts at what time? Ten? Ten o'clock? Yeah, I'm here at eight thirty. But so I don't know when it starts. I just go. No, I'm just kidding. But there are a lot of people who are not here at 10 o'clock. So we might have 10, 15, 20, whatever people in here. And we start worshiping about halfway through, it starts filling up. But a lot of, and a lot of times I've talked with people and they, they say, well, I'm just, not, I'm just not a worshiper. I don't like it. And please, again, I'm not trying to be critical, but I, I want to make a point here about uh, what Judas was about in this. Does it really matter if you're a worshiper or you say you're not a worshiper? And we'd start church at 10 o'clock, whether you're here or not. What's the important part of this? Oh, I'm sorry? Praise Jesus. What else? What's, what's important about church service starting at 10 o'clock that has nothing to do with praise and worship? Respect for God. Thank you. Thank you. What else? Like I said, everything that we do and decide and say, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, is worship, right? So every decision we make is worship. So if we make a decision not to be here to worship God, which is giving him the honor and respect that he deserves because of who he is, then what are we doing? Dishonoring him. So is that... Can I say this? Is that sin? Okay. Is it? I mean, Pastor Ray, is that sin? Yes, he said. Well, he shook his head. It rattled, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh-oh, she has thoughts. I have these thoughts going through my head right now. Um, when's the last time you really worshipped me? When's the last time? Because I've done that before. I've done that in this church. But I moved away. And I'm just really 
he's through your sermon, I feel like really talking to me because I can, you know, I don't have the voice, but really seeing and it's a hundred percent and there's tears with abandon. And I thank you for that because. And I think, you know, I think that's what Bible study is about. If we're going to talk about extravagant worship or worship or being here and what it means, if we don't learn something or get something from what Pastor Tim or Pastor Ray or myself, um, you know, wh- how are we going to grow? How are we going to change to be more of what Christ wants us to be? And unless someone's, and uh, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to say I'm in your face, but I, I, this is really hard for me to say it this way. You know, I, I am not that type of person. And talk to my wife, she'll say, "He's the most meek, calm, back, laid back, never." ruffles anything and just um, but when I teach I get to this point and, and I start saying things that I'm going I said I've said that <laughs> you know but but I think it's important that we have to look at ourselves that's that's part of what worship is too and we'll talk about that in a little bit is looking at ourselves and identifying where we are not a worshiper that's important in worship because everything's worship. So if we're not worshiping the way we should be, whether it's just coming to church at 10 o'clock, and if, please don't be offended by what I'm saying. Um, and if you are, I'm sorry. But I think we have to. As I had a pastor that used to say this, uh, build a bridge and get over it. We're going to get on the other side and we'll be okay. Someone have something you want to say? Yes, Carol. So... I always thought that I was a worshiper. I mean, I come to church and I raise my hands and I do worship and I love the Lord with all my heart. Don't get me wrong. But in the women's group, we've been doing a Bible study with Beth Moore. And one of the things that she has asked us to do during our Bible study or during, you know, while we're studying and doing our homework is to just fall flat on our face before the Lord. And that is something that I've been doing for a couple of weeks now. And boy, I tell you, just, you know, I feel his presence. I mean, I've always felt his presence, but boy, it's just, it's so humbling and so, I feel so honored and so loved. And I just, so, just fair warning, if I ever fall flat on my face in this church, please do. I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah, I'm just. Do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wished that we could all feel comfortable enough to do that. Not because it looks nice or all look at what's going on, but because we love God so much that we just want to be prostrate in His face, praising Him and giving Him glory for for whatever He needs. You know, I think it's really interesting what you're saying. It uh, really, really agree that you know light is worship, and I'm struck by lots of times people that really object to somebody else that gets a little more demonstrative than they do in worship, not only in church, but outside of the building. And um, it's interesting, if you watch some of those people that are struggling with these things, if something goes haywire in their life, it's all over Facebook. It's all about it. As soon as they hit the door, it's, you know, this and that, and I've got questions about the Lord. I don't get it, and one thing and the other. And they're very, very quick to talk about that, but then become very critical and 
struggle with how worship works in the church or how that it works uh, when somebody else gets a little too testimonial or whatever. And I see that as a stark contrast. And having said that, I've seen that in myself sometimes to where I get lopsided with what worship is about. And um, it is a lifestyle. And sometimes I really have to say, you need to get this in balance. Sure, you got trouble. But there are so many things the Lord is blessing you with that you need to be talking about. And you're absolutely right. What's the word say? Everything we do, we should do it as unto the Lord. Is that worship? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me, let me finish up this section. I'm going to go back. Uh, Laura, I was saying what religious critics fail to understand. Do you see that in that paragraph? Is that extravagant acts of abandoned worship motivated by unfettered love for God need no justification or explanation before men. We should be able to do everything we need to do before God that needs to be done, that we, that we feel needs to be done. I, th- I think we all still have to be um, there's a, there are times when we do those things or some people will do those things in their self just because well that's what a Christian or that's what a churchgoer or that's what that person should do but they're not doing it in the spirit worship's a spiritual thing you know we're worshiping our, with our spirit to God's spirit it's spirit to spirit so when we do it in the flesh there's no connection there. It's uh, gone. <laughs> In fact, the Bible is clear that extravagant worship always wins out with God over self-conscious, conservative opinion. So, again, it kind of goes back to the same thing we've been saying. God appreciates, accepts, and loves our worship in an extravagant means over well over what self con and I think what they're referring to here more than anything is the those who said, Well, that's really a waste. What's that person doing? We should have sold that spike nard and given the money to the poor. Not bad in itself, but it wasn't what God wanted or that wasn't what the relationship between Mary and, and Holy Spirit had going on. The real issue is are we trying to give attention or get attention. So that's flesh and then spirit. God looks at our heart and welcomes the open adoration of his children, however it is expressed. Which is why Jesus came to Mary's defense and said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. So he's referring to that same thing we just talked about. But me you do not have always. He's leaving. He, she anointed him for burial. Assuredly, I say unto you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And he does the same thing for us. When we worship him and adore him, then he loves that. And he will actually um, let us be, tell our story just like we did tonight, in testimony, in praise, the same way. 
that story gets old. Do you think that that blesses God as well? You know, when he gives me a God check and I'm able to tell you that he did that, that that came from God in a time of need, that's God blessing me, and I need to honor him for that. But when I tell you, what does that do? That gives you the faith to believe God's capable too. So now I've just multiplied that by whatever people are here. That's that's one of the sad things I think we miss in church today is uh, the old Sunday night testimony time. You know, and I think I think that has in a way taught us um, to not have a testimony. <laughs> you know, when when pastor go, okay, Justine, stand up here and give us tell us what God did for you. Isn't that the way it went? And I was, and I'd be sitting there going, I don't know. And then God would give me some. Oh yeah, He gave me a God check this week, you know. And I'd stand up, and people are blessed by that. So then the energy starts moving. The Holy Spirit starts moving in that. It gives you faith to believe that God's going to do what needs to happen in your life. It's going to happen. It's going to happen for you too. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all right. So, the, yes, ma'am. Coming back. What time are we supposed to quit? Eight? Eight thirty. <laughs> Go ahead. Thank you. I'll do that. Um, uh, I just wanted to give an example of, I don't know if you guys know about David. When he worshiped God, he would there dance. There you go. And he would make, like, a big, big party and invite everybody and then also give, like, bread and stuff. Um, some people are like that. And then some people are more, like, serious and, like, and there's nothing wrong with that because they worship God by other ways, you know, like tithing or, I don't know, my husband is very serious. So he doesn't have to be like, whoa, you know, but I know he means to worship God. <laughs> yeah, so we're different. I'm David and he's, he's. He's him. <laughs> well, he worships God in a very right. quiet way. And that's fine, I think, right? Absolutely. That is, that is great. I'm, I'm not, I am not in any way trying to say that it needs to be a very flamboyant all-the-time thing. And if you're not doing that, you're wrong. Yeah. Uh, but what I am saying is that you are going to have your way. David is another great example of extravagant worship. But do you think David was real? David was really flamboyant. Do you get that picture? Yeah, he was, wasn't he? There was, there was, there was others that were that way too in the Word. I mean, you can read all kinds of extravagant worship. That doesn't mean that. What's your name? No, behind you. I'm sorry. Caesar. That's Caesar. Okay, I got to meet you, Caesar. Okay. I. It's, it doesn't mean that you're not being extravagant in what you do either. I don't think extravagant has to be flamboyant or openly, outwardly flamboyant. Well, and that's fine. That's fine. But he is fine too. So please don't take it wrong that I'm trying to say you've got to be, you know, all this jumping up and down and all that stuff, right? You can be extravagant in other ways. Uh, I, I think what, I've, what I do want to add, though, is that it is, it's good to be able to do if you are an extrovertish type of person doing extravagant outwardly stuff that you feel comfortable in doing it. That the people who are not will feel comfortable in letting you do it. That if you need to come up here or you need to dance and, or you need to do whatever or, you know, I know Jack's not going to dance, but, 
But Jack's, Jack's not a dancer, right? But Jack's, but Jack, uh, and I'm not picking on Jackie. Right? Jack's a singer, but, and I know he loves the Lord, and I know he loves to sing. He does, and he does it back here in his way of honoring the Lord and praising him in worship. And I've asked Jack, why don't, why don't you come on the worship team? And he goes, eh, I just don't feel comfortable up there where people see me. I don't want people to think that I am performing. And I said, okay. I mean, I tried to convince him. but And I'm not, I'm not trying to do anything here but tell you that Jack, what he does his way is right. Right? Right? He's extravagant in his worship that he loves the Lord and sings from his heart and praises him and lifts him up and glorifies his name and, and in many other ways too. And I won't, I won't say any more about that. Yes, Danny. Yeah, you do. You're recording. If people uh, like to, you know, express themselves out loud and all that, that's all right, you know, but. As far as the, you, you say, well, I'll go up there and dance while the preacher is preaching. No, no. Uh, it's out of order to me. Correct. You know? It's out of order. Mm-hmm. It needs to be in order, and I said that earlier. So it needs to be a time when we're in that mode. I'll say it that way. You know, if we're doing um, worship time and it's praise and, you know, what people are talking about the dance or whatever they're talking about, and there are some, there are some people that do that, then... Um, uh, there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. You shouldn't be going, Ooh, what's that person doing? You know, we should allow people to be, to move in the spirit that way and do that. Go ahead, buddy. I was brought up Catholic. Uh, I think it lost a battery. Here, let me have that one. And so that's how I was brought up. Right. It was not being too extravagant at all. Uh, when I started coming to Christian services, non-denominational services, and saw it, I, I really, I'm trying in my heart to be able to do it. I love this man here. I love him. I love hearing him talk. Yeah, I do too. You know, we all do. And Amen. God is fantastic. But then I, I read things in the Bible. Um, Matthew 6, 5, for example. It tells you, you go into a room and pray by yourself. Don't stand in church and pray. And so I'm kind of in that constant battle. And what I'm trying to do instead of doing, you know, the standing up and the emotional things is to live my life for Christ, to give up living for myself and uh, live for Christ, um, no matter what lies before me. I just found out yesterday that, my cancer may have come back, mm-hmm. and I'm scared. But uh, as I said before when I had it the first time, I say it again, that if I'm healed, I'm blessed. Come on now, come on. If I'm not healed, Amen. I'm blessed, because look where I'll be. Amen. So this woman here is going to go through a lot with me again. Another blessing. We'll pray you know, I just wanted to share that with you guys. Amen. Amen. Yes, Pastor. Praise God. Hallelujah. 
It's not on. I always have trouble with microphones. You always have But anyhow, um, you know, this is it's really such a wonderful blessing to, you know, to hear this topic on worship. And I think a couple of things that you have touched and, you know, different people have touched on too. I think that in the way that you've explained it, if a lot of times, especially in our spiritual circles, the way we look at worship is only in singing and and what we do with that. And, and as, you know, that is wonderful. But if everything we do is worship, if giving is worship, is how we live our lives is worship, we can be extravagant in all those ways. And so I, I may not be demonstrative in the way that I worship God, lift up my hands, but I'm extravagant in my giving. And the Bible talks about Jesus having people that went along with him, you know, ladies that God had gifted. And the Bible says they had their wallets with them. They funded his ministry. They were extravagant in what they did. And so I think that when, as a church, we look at that, the big hindrance becomes when we condemn each other in what we do and we don't do. And I think that that's where we need to be careful. So like where I come from, I know that people are, extra, people are outward. What, services are celebratory. It's wonderful. But I also understand that when I step from Africa and I come here, it is different here. And then not only that, it is important also to understand that there are cultures. So churches are cultures and as well as people groups have culture. So the culture at VLCC may be different from the culture in that church. So when I'm here, I just need to be appreciative and thankful for what God is doing here and understand that culture and not export or import that culture or condemn the people here that, well, they sure don't know how to worship God. I think that it is important that to honor God in whatever place, whatever culture, whatever area he places us, we can be extravagant in worshiping God. And, and I, I agree with you, but I want to I want to make maybe what, the way I said it wasn't as, wasn't clear either. You're absolutely right. We can't be we shouldn't be judged. That's what happened in the story, the Bible story. They were critical, right? They were judgmental. They were critical of uh, of what she did, and that's what we can't do. It doesn't mean that we have to be extravagant all the same. Everyone's going to be extravagant in their way. In your closet, you can be extravagant by yourself in the way you pray and worship the Lord and give Him praise and thanksgiving for your health or whatever is going on. In finance, it's the same way. But we don't want to say, well, this cult, the culture of VLCs, and I'm not being critical of you, I just want to make this clear. The culture, here's what we don't want to say. The culture at Victorious Life Christian Center is subdued, laid back. We don't do this. We don't act this way. What are we doing then? We're still being judgmental. In my mind, that's still being judgmental of what people may need to do to be an extravagant worshiper on Sunday morning. Okay? I think we just need to be free enough to allow everyone to do what, without judgment, what they need to do and what is correct needs to be in order. It's, you don't dance around and do all that stuff during Pastor Tim's sermon. The order is Pastor Tim's sermon or Pastor Philemon or whoever's preaching. That's the order. But in, in, in praise time, 
It's time to praise. It's time to do that. And if I feel like I can, I need to stand up, raise my hands, or do whatever I need to do, or, or praise the Lord, or w- allow the Holy Spirit to move through the people and through our lives so that we see those things happening in today's church. We don't see it that, that much anymore. And I think a lot of it's because we are critical. We have fallen back on an overall judgment of that's not the culture today in whatever church we're in. Am I okay? Are we okay? <laughs> I'd say that well enough that, okay. I just don't want people to, to be afraid or uh, put into a box where they can't do what the Holy Spirit wants them to do or should, should do. Okay, go ahead. And we got to hurry because I need a, another half an hour, 45 minutes. This will just top off exactly what you guys are talking about in behavior health and in counseling. It's, it's patience and love, which falls under Christ. When, if someone's, you know, doing something that's just strange, it's not to shame or blame. These are the terms they use. Not to shame, claim, or condemn, but to do discipleship and instruct kindly, if that needs to be done. Okay, number four. I'm going to do this real quick, and I'm going to just walk through the rest of these numbers uh, briefly. And uh, I want you to, if you would, please... Uh, go back, there's a, a scripture uh, of the woman at the well in John 4, 4 through 26. You will see that in number 4. But the first part of that says, Biblically, every decision is an act of worship. Every action, and I'm turning the words around here so, so hopefully it, it gets well understood. Biblically, every decision is an act of worship. Every action is a choice to worship or not. Every decision is then a spiritual decision that honors, adores, and shows reverence to God. So everything we do, wherever we are, however we are living our lives at that particular point in time is, is worship. Right? Is that, are we good there? Okay. Um, so the rest of that is reading reading that story about the woman at the well. And, and uh, in that 4 to 20... Um, so what I'm going to do is to give you a foundation. And these are just real quick uh, pieces that come out of this scripture. So the foundation of worship is salvation through Jesus Christ. John 4, 10 through 15. If you, we're going to read it right now, but circle that. Go home and read that. If that doesn't, if you kind of go, huh? Go home and read that, and you'll see how that works. Foundation of worship is salvation through Jesus Christ. Got to get back to the bottom line, right? All right. Uh, the, found, uh, the foundation. Oh, John, that's sorry. <laughs> Number five. The, the, I read that, so read the scripture. The object of our worship is Jesus Christ. He demonstrated his love for us while we were still unbelievers by dying on the cross to provide us the gift of everlasting life. John 3.16, Romans 5.8. Because he demonstrated his love for us, we are motivated to love him. 1 John 4.19. Worship motivated by love is acceptable to God. And we just saw that in the story with Mary, right? Her worship was acceptable to God, so it's motivated by love. But it starts with salvation. All right, six. A person seeking God 
is receptive to God's instruction and can discern basic truth. And you'll see in the story of the woman of well how where that fits, and that's in John four, sixteen through nineteen. When we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, read the scripture, we receive the ability to understand God's instruction and discern wisdom. Christ as the Word of God is our source of wisdom. Christ lives in us as the Holy Spirit. As we read and memorize he, his word, he makes us wise. So that's a, that person seeking God is receptive to his instruction, just as the woman of the well was receptive to um, Christ's instruction. Seven, a person seeking God will question their prior worship practices. That's what we were talking about earlier. I said that's, we were going to talk about that because if we can't self-examine how we worship, how we live our life, um, we're not acting the way a Christian should act because it's based upon uh, Scripture and to do that. Love and wisdom motivates us to examine ourselves to see what sort of person we are in light of God's Word. That's James 1, 20 and 26. We seek to worship properly because of our new understanding of God and who He is. Uh, we learned that our prior worship practices were based on ignorance that amounted to worshiping demons. Finally, our worship can be done anywhere at any time. I talked about that also. In our closet, wherever it might be. A believer will worship God in spirit and in truth. And that's at the end of that. You'll see in John 4, 23 and 24 that Jesus actually says that. We need to worship him in spirit and in truth. That is what God wants us to do. Uh, these verses help us to determine the appropriate, appropriateness of our worship and the music we listen to or use in worship, as well as other things. The first is worshiping in spirit, which should reflect the fruit of the spirit. So you can ask yourselves these questions. Does our worship produce love instead of hatred? Joy instead of sorrow? Peace instead of anxiety? Patience instead of impatience? Gentleness instead of cruelty? Goodness instead of sinfulness, faith instead of godliness, godlessness, meekness instead of arrogance, self-control instead of wildness. If yes, then worshiping in the spirit. Does that make sense? So we're self-examining again. The fruit. Make sense? Okay. Second is worshiping in truth. Does our worship reflect proper biblical doctrine? There's scripture there. Does our worship of God exalt him above all other things? If so, we are worshiping in truth. If we're putting something else first above him, then probably not worshiping him in truth. Because the truth is there's nothing higher or more exalted or should there be than Jesus. Yes, Danny? You know, uh, we're supposed to worship there, but sometimes, uh, once in a while, you get the music way too loud, and that turns me off, you know. So I, I'm not worshiping in spirit there because uh, I, just, I just get turned off. That's it. So I don't know what, what to uh, say is there. It's like... It's, uh, yeah, that can be devastating. Um, I understand that, and we do our best to try to keep the music at a reasonable level. 
Um, sometimes it's and up there I can't really tell myself, but I I think it's um, uh, a very difficult thing to do. But I think the most important thing um, as a Christian would be, uh, and uh, I think I think I can say this. Um, is to not take an offense at it and not let that take away your joy. And I know that, that it's not um, something that um, can be pleasant. I mean, I know folks who have problems with, with their hearing and, and hearing aids and all the things that go on to try to help that. And it doesn't matter what you do. There's something in the frequency or the pitch or the volume or something that, if, that hurts. Hopefully... We do our best to, to try not to do that. It would be nice if we could just do everything a cappella and without instruments or acoustically, and we wouldn't have that problem. How Pastor Ray. Hey, man, he said. I'll make this quick. Okay, um, so hurry. when I'm in my prayer closet, I love my dogs. I love them. They are my babies. Okay? Dogs, okay. When I'm in my prayer closet and I'm praying and they're outside barking and distracting me, I just pray for God to silence them. And he does. So close your eyes and ask God to just, you know, seriously, he will do it. He will give you that peace that you need to continue worshiping. Okay. Um, nine. A believer will share what they have learned with others. And that's the end of the woman at the well. She leaves and goes and tells everybody else about what's going on. You'll see that. Can I? Did you raise your hand up? Okay. Uh, as we said earlier, the foundation of worship is salvation. Sharing the salvation message is one of the highest forms of worship we can give to the Lord. Amen? We must remember we are missionaries for Christ. We should take what we know to others so that when they learn the truth and receive His Spirit, they too can worship in spirit and in truth. All right, so let's look at these questions again and ones that I asked at the very beginning. So what does that mean to you, and that meaning extravagant worship. What does that mean to you? Are you an extravagant worshiper? Do you want to be a passionate or extravagant worshiper of Jesus Christ? If you're at, whatever your answer is to that, you know what you have to do. Everyone have a quick comment? I hope I said something that was meaningful to you tonight, and I'm sorry we couldn't go more in depth about the worship spiritually there. Yes, Pat, um, Brother Hensley. Hey, I really enjoyed Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Anything else? Brother, what's your name? Michael. Okay. Last name? Davis. Okay. Put that in here. Hopefully I'll remember it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep praying for you, Brother. I think let's, uh, those around Michael... Put your hands on him right now. Let's um, let's pray for him, and I'll dismiss at the same time. Uh, is there any announcement, Pastor Ray, that we need to do? Okay, all right. All right, so stick around for a minute afterwards. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we just lift up Michael to you. You, you were whipped to almost the end of your life 
before you were crucified for our sins, and you said that by your stripes we were healed. And right now, in the name of Jesus, we just claim healing for Michael. We lift him up to you. We ask you to pour out your spirit into him. Touch his body. Right now, Lord, <clears throat> and heal this cancer. Satan, we command you to take your hands off of him in this sickness. Go back to the pit of hell where you came from, where you will no longer be able to touch this man's body. We just believe that now in the name of Jesus. We really thank you, Lord, for touching him, for healing him. Lord, we know that healings can be instant. Miracles of healing can be instantaneous. But we have seen so many miracles of healing that take, take time. But God, help us not to be wavering in our stand for this healing, God, that we would lift him up daily, weekly, when we think of him during the night. If uh, <clears throat> whatever he needs, God, we could be there for him. Let him know. Comfort him. Let us comfort him. Let us be there for him. Let us wrap our lives around him as a brother in Christ to love and, and lift him up into the presence of the Lord. We just ask you, Holy Spirit, to comfort him, give him peace through this time. Help him, Lord, to not be sick and not be ill from all the chemical and the treatments that have sometimes take place with this, Lord. So I don't know what the, what the plan is, Lord, but you do. You have him in your hand. Just touch him, Lord, now in the name of Jesus, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, whatever the needs are, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.